Hey, what's up, everybody? It's DG, and on this episode of Swipe File, we're digging in the crates to give you a classic interview with Alan Gannett. He is now the chief strategy officer at Skyward. He came to Drift when he published his book, The Creative Curve, which is, if you listen to this podcast at all, you know how much we talk about the power of creativity and why I think that creativity is the most underrated and important skill for the next generation of marketers. We live in a world that's so analytical, so technical, so data-driven that we've lost the secret sauce with creativity. And the cool part about this was Alan's book actually went and unpacked all of these lessons of some of the most creative and amazing creators, executives, authors, entrepreneurs. And it was a, it, he's just a great guy. If you've seen any of his content on LinkedIn, he is phenomenal. He's the guy, I'm not gonna, I, I would never tell him this to, to, this to his face, but he's a guy that I saw posting on LinkedIn a lot early on. And I basically just started kind of trying to see what he was doing and try to innovate on top of that. He did this awesome thing with videos. I went in on text posts and videos. We talked about that, a bunch of other stuff in this podcast. If you are passionate about marketing and creativity, you're gonna love this conversation with Alan Gannett. I want to introduce yourself first, and we got a lot to talk about today. So awesome. Okay. So my name is Alan Gannett. Yes. And I'm the CEO of a company called TrackMeet. Are we on right now? We're on. We're on. Oh, this that's is how really, that's how good this it's is. It's just rolling yeah. right in. Are you tired of doing this yet? Like doing podcasts? Book tours, explaining who you are. No, or no, explaining no. Yourself. I just, you know, like, okay. every time my mom you know, listens and she goes, Alan, that wasn't the best intro. I'm like, Mom, well, I thought so we're done being critical of me. <laughs> All um, right. And so TrackMaven's a marketing analytics company. So we basically track data from a huge variety of big consumer brands, tell them what's working, what's not working, what sucks, what yep. doesn't suck. Yep. And then I have my first book coming out June 12th. Okay. And so it's all about... I, I mean, if you ask me, the book is out. Oh, it's, it's right there. It's, it's right, in front of you. It's, I don't know yeah, what to tell the you. The awkward okay. print-on-demand print version. Okay. And um, basically for the book, I was talking to all these marketers and they're all like, oh, like I'm not creative enough. Like I can't do it. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? Huh. And it turns out that... Can you fix this book? Yeah, I can what fix this. Hell? Hold on. This is... For those of you listening, uh, yeah. Dave does not know how to fold No, I'm not the I'm not the not designer in the yeah, room. Yeah. So we're good. And so basically for the book, I tackle this question of whether or not you can learn to have moments of creative genius. Mm. And so I'll hold the answer for yeah. you know, later in the I want to unpack that a lot. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so it's very applicable for marketers, creatives, totally. entrepreneurs, all of the above. When did you start the company? Six years ago. Six years oh ago. Oh my God. You're a young guy. I know. I was 12 when I started. You were 12. Yeah, it was really no, good. No, seriously. Tell me the story. Okay, the so I... People, um, people want to know. So I started Track Maven about a year out of school. Yeah. And I had, during college, I had started a Facebook performance marketing company mm. back when Facebook performance marketing was like just getting started. Yeah, what year was that? Was it like 2010 2010. Okay. You nailed it. So I don't know, just because I'm just trying to un unwind. Like we think a lot about like... Uh, I love thinking about like the first person to do email marketing, right? Probably was ninety percent open rate, eighty percent click oh, rate. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think like back that's then cool. It was so easy. So you so you got on Facebook ads early. So back then you could get like perfect clicks yes. for any ad for yeah. like five cents a click. Yeah. Like any ad. Like you could be advertising the dumbest thing. What were you at but you're in college though? Like why were you playing around with Facebook? So I ads? started a company that was doing lead gen. And so we were a lead gen company, which is like not the most fun thing in the world, but basically yeah figuring out how to get people to convert on lead forms. And so it was like literally growing up in data-driven performance marketing. Gotcha. And so we sold that company for like a very small amount of money. Yep. A nice, then, enough to get a nice jacket. Yeah, you know, this is a nice jacket yeah. that I bought on ASOS, you know, <laughs> yeah. $80. 
And so then I took a job as CMO of a venture back startup in town because people were like, he's young, but like he kind of gets it. Yeah. And he knows the internet. He, he kind of knows the internet. Yeah. Like he knows Facebook marketing. <laughs> right. And then from there, I spent about a year doing that. And I realized one, I really don't like working for other people. Mm. Like I'm really bad at it. Mm-hmm. And then two, data and marketing like is oil and water, but it shouldn't be. Like most marketers are like, um, I'm a creative, but then most marketers are also like, shit, I need to use data. Yeah. And there's this weird sort of tension there. And so I was like, I love data. Like I can talk about data all day. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea for Track Maven was and our logo's a dog, so excuse the pun, but like to be a marketer's best friend. Right. And so to like we're the ones, like, we suck in all your data, we give you reports, we give you visualizations, we give you answers about what you should do differently. So did you, like, did you bootstrap the company? Did you go and raise money? Because I'm assuming, like, that's, you're, you're a marketing guy. I'm assuming you weren't building the tracking software behind yeah. the scenes. No, so we raised money right from the start. Gotcha. So we had a PowerPoint. Cool. And, like, it was me and a PowerPoint. Nice. Yeah, and we nice. raised a seed round, then I hired a team, and then we built it. And our first customer was Martha Stewart Living. That's awesome. Love her. Well, how did you I, how did you get her? It was a random intro through one of our investors. And this is a fun story. Hit me. I saw Martha uh-huh. at a cafe. I don't know her. I'm just calling her Martha because like well, I mean, I, everyone calls her Martha. What are you gonna call her? Miss Stewart? Yeah, Miss like, Stewart. Of course it's Martha. And so I see yeah. her at a cafe. This was like three months ago. Uh-huh. I go up to her, and I think it's her, but like it's not quite clear. But I go up to her and I'm like, um, Martha? And she's like, Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> um, just so you know, you were my first customer. And yeah. I so appreciate that. And she goes, Oh, um, Josephine, who I guess is her assistant. Josephine, come here. Come here. Give, give Josephine your card. What's the company's name? I was like, Track Maven. And she was like, oh, I'm sure we love it. We love it. <laughs> I just like, I've never heard of them in my yeah, life. I've never heard of them in my life. And by the way, this was like literally. I'm, I'm sure we love it. This was like two weeks after they canceled after four and a half years of using us. I'm sure we like, love it. I'm like, oh, That's great. Amazing. Love Josephine. So anyway, she was very kind. And she's very loving in person. That's awesome. What? Why did you, like, I want to so focus on marketing, but I can't help yeah. not ask this question. Why did you, like, what have you learned? Start, this is a huge question. Like, what have you learned from six, what year is it now? 2018, eight years? Yeah. Eight years of this company? Like, are you still, are you still having fun doing it? Yeah. Like, you, do you still get to do marketing? Yeah. So it's super interesting. Like, as you build a company, your role changes. So, mm. you know, the company now, so yes, it's six years old. So I've been doing marketing as a thing for about eight years. And when you first start, you sort of do everything. Yeah. And then you learn really quickly that's annoying everybody as you get bigger because all of a sudden you have like 20 people and they're like, can you please stop yeah. doing my job? You're like, okay, I can stop doing your but you job. But you can't not care. Yeah, though. you like, can't Especially if, you're the mar- if, you're, if marketing is your thing, you're not going to care about how your website looks, the headline, this, this subject line. Like that feels hard. A hundred percent. And so for me, what's been fun is like as we get bigger, I have sort of like, I find pet projects to scratch my marketing itch. So like some years it's been our user conference. I lean in a lot. Right now it's a book. Right. Sometimes it's been like our content marketing yeah, strategy. Cool. And so I basically need to find something. Man. Otherwise I just go crazy and yeah. annoy everyone yeah. with like. Yeah, that job sounds fun. Like you just get to pick the marketing things. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So did you ha- when did you know you want to write a book? Like, did you have that in your? So the book came from. I started giving this talk about three years ago. So I feel like marketers. a book. A book is one of those things where, like, I'm like sitting here, birth. like, yeah. I've seen like so many people. I'm like, I could write a book. Yeah, I want to write could. a book, right? You could. Yeah, but then it comes to actually writing the book. Like, oh my god, you could totally do it. Yeah. So it's like hard, but not hard. If that okay. makes sense. So okay. basically, three years ago, I was giving this talk mm-hmm. at marketing conferences about how marketers think creative like creatives are just born with these magical skills. Yeah. But when you actually read like the autobiography of great creatives, they're like, 
It was seven years of very hard work. It was very intentional. Yeah. Like, they're all systems or, thinkers. Al- also, I mean, we could talk for so long about this, but, like, the whole art of being creative, you can't see. That's a good sign. That was dramatic. Uh, the whole art of you – can't, you can't plan it. You can't plan it, right? Like, there's a great um, – it, it was in one of Stephen Pressfield's books where he's talking about being an ad, uh, an ad guy back in the day, and people would come to his desk and be like, "What do you got for me?" And yeah. he's like, "It doesn't work like that. Like, I need to make ten things in order to get one that's going to be a game changer." So, so, and here's where we go. And so, I think people misinterpret that. Yeah. And so, when people hear that, they go, "Well, I don't have that random great idea." Right. right. And the issue is that when you actually look at the stories of creativity, the stories are actually well. Sure, it's difficult and it's confusing, but there is actually some method to the madness. And so the talk the talk led to this idea of like, hey, there could be a book here. Mm. And then as I was working on the book, I realized it's more broad than just marketers. Yeah. And so the whole idea for the book was what would happen if you interviewed 25 living creative geniuses? So billionaires, Oscar winners, Tony Award winners, startup founders, like super eclectic mix. And like if you just ask them about their creative process, what would you find out? Mm. And it turns out there's actually a lot of interesting stuff there. So, one, there's patterns. You find over and over again, I talk about in the book, there's these four things they all do. There's four things they all do that actually enhances their creativity. The second thing I did was I talked to all these academics who study creativity. And creativity is actually one of these things that is, like, super well studied. Like, there's tons and tons of research on, like, what causes creativity? Mm-hmm. How do you get better at creativity? Yep. Is it nature? Is it nurture? These questions have all been answered. Can I tell you a personal story? I would love a personal story. Uh, I have just, in the last probably two or three years, realized that I'm creative. That's great. But you know what this, you know, do you know what happened? Can you guess what changed in my, in my life for that to, to, to become the case? Okay. Someone gave you positive feedback on something creative you did. Uh, no. No. Okay, I'll just tell you because okay, there's no way you'll me. ever yeah, guess. Yeah, this is a I hard never game. read. I never read books. Mm. I hated reading. I hated reading. But then when I got when I really started to get interested in marketing, I went uh, DC started giving me all these books. Old he's a school, reader. He's a huge yeah. reader. And he's so David Ogilvy shit. And what, what was what was amazing is like I was so lucky to have him two years ago, two and a half years ago, start sending me. He was like my curator. He's like, here, take this book. And I'd be like, okay, and I would read it, and I'd be like, oh my god, this. This is awesome because I'd never read something that applied. I hated reading in school and in college it's because it never applied to anything that I was doing. Yeah. But I, for the first time, I'm reading a book and I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what we're trying to do with our website right now. And it was written 80 years ago. I'm like, what else you got for me? And he starts giving me more and more. And it was once I started reading all those books, then I would just catch myself like, oh, I got an idea. Yeah. I got another idea. So, I got another idea. And and I've, and now it's become like, it's like Popeye and spinach. Like the more stuff that I can consume, you, and Ogilvy says it in the yeah. book, you unpack, like you, you unpack, like you reconsume all this stuff so, totally. and then you go away and you unlock your subconscious so, and then you're like, oh shit. So Dave. Here's what I want to talk about. So I think we have to have a little talk. Okay. Because we're now going to talk yeah. about, so in the book, I talk about the four laws mm. of creativity and the yeah. creative curve. The first law. Consumption. Consumption. So let's talk about it. Love it. So one of the things I found is exactly what you experienced. Yeah. All these creators I interviewed over and over again had some story that went like this. Like Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer of Netflix, I yeah. interviewed him. He, as 18 years old, got a job as a video store clerk, and he watched every single movie in the store. Amazing. 
Um, Beverly Jenkins, a famous novelist, uh-huh. she lived right by a library. She was poor. Her escape, she went to the library, read every single book in the library. And so over and over again, you see this trend yeah. of these creatives consume huge amounts of content. I love that. Huge and, amounts. And I love it because probably Ted Sarandis, he doesn't have a, I bet you he doesn't have a framework for creating new content, right? He doesn't have some method that he, it's just like, it's subconscious. I, just give the guy a whiteboard yeah. and you're like, it's like this, it's like this, and you're this. And so the reason why is actually really interesting. So basically, and it's kind of cliche when you yeah. talk about creativity, you talk about right brain, left brain, but mm. we're going to do it because okay. it's important. Okay. So your left brain I is I still don't really do know the difference like between both. So logical yep. step-by-step processing. So right. like you're solving a math problem. Mm-hmm. And it's all conscious. You're or, like, or not solving. Or not solving. Problem. Yeah. You're like carrying the like the number. You're doing long division. Uh-huh. You're doing this whole thing. Uh-huh. And every step you're thinking about. It. And then you finally get the answer. You're like, I got the answer. Good for me. Your right brain is where you store more like distant metaphorical associations. So like think about when you're watching a stand-up comedian, you like get the joke. Mm. Like that's your right brain just getting it. Unless it's like Adam Sandler, then it's not funny. Mm. And so um, your right brain does all this subconscious processing. But what's interesting is that your right brain, how it does this processing, it's not actually special. It's just different. It's just quiet. It's just that this type of processing happens below your level of awareness. And only once it finds these ideas, once it connects these distant ideas together, only then does it sort of pop into consciousness. Uh And so the thing is that people mistake this for magic. It's actually not magic. So yeah, I, every and it's funny because everyone says that, which is like that idea that hits you in the shower or at the gym or on a run. But why or does that happen? Else, right? Think about it. It's yeah. because your left brain, when you're like in the shower, your left brain isn't firing away exactly. trying to answer these like very present questions. So it's really and it's really hard. It's a really I think a lot of people struggle with the creativity part because especially if you have a busy job or something that you do is, is very taxing and or stressful. There's a lot of stuff happening, right? Like it's so important to be able to step back and get away from 100%. it. That's when you're going to have the clarity. So there's, there's two things that really drive to aha moments. So aha moments are really well studied by researchers. And the first one is you have to have prior knowledge about what you want to have aha moments about. So the same thing where you were reading all these yeah. books, yeah. the reason why consumption was such a big pattern was like, it. You need to, like, if you're Ted Sarandos, watch a lot of movies to have all those mental models in place to connect. And I actually, like, and I realize that I don't, I just actually don't like reading. Still, I don't. But when I do it for the focus, I say, I will read books about business and marketing, right? You need to go deep. And then I can go deep. Yeah. And that's when I get the good stuff. Totally. And so that's the first step. The second step is you need to give yourself the space for your left hemisphere to, like, calm down. Mm. And so this is why, like, running, commutes, drives, all these things are so important. And if you don't make time for that, and what's amazing is, like, I interviewed all these, like, super successful people, like, literally, like, David Rubenstein is a billionaire. Yeah. They make time to think, right? And so, like, if we don't have time to think, we're not billionaires, right? We're just, like, these people running around. These people who have way more responsibilities they even know how important it is. Yeah, and I, the funny part is, is like I always get, I have this personality where like I have to, I think that I have to write everything down, mm. right? Because I want to have good notes. I don't want to forget anything. I never want to be the person that's like, hey, Dave, you know that thing we talked about last Tuesday? And I'm like, what? Like I always want to be on top of that. I should always be <laughs> Just ahead. nod your head and smile. Just managing ahead, right? But what I realized was like the more that I read and the more that I consume and do stuff, I remember, I give myself, I'm cutting my, selling myself short on how much I'm remembering. Totally. Right? And so then I'm trying to look, hey, remember this this framework from Ogilvy <laughs> or this framework from DC or this other thing. And then if you ask me randomly on a Saturday morning out for a run, I'm like, oh, here's how it works. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. And so, and so the thing is that when you look at all these things, like we experience these as sort of like 
we don't really understand where these ideas are coming from. And because of that, we ascribe all this sort of like divinity to it. But that doesn't actually mean it's divine or supernatural. It just means we don't understand it. Which is, I love that because one of the things that, that DC, we talk about a lot on, on Seeking Wisdom, which is where this is, obviously. Can we but, call you DG? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, is people DG, call me DG. DG. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Actually, funny story is like when I started at Drift, he sent me an email and there was like seven people at the company at the time. And so basically everyone that starts gets first name at yeah, drift.com, except, except for me. He's like, I couldn't get you Dave at Drift.com. Even though he doesn't, you don't call him Dave, it's David. I still couldn't get Dave at Drift.com. <laughs> uh, he's Not like, better. but I set up DG at Drift.com. Like and so then just, that became yeah, a everyone calls you that. One of the things I think in the book that I think is really applicable to marketers, and this is sort of a big concept, so I'll go sort of high level when yeah. you go as deep as you want, yeah. is one of the things I found when you look at all the studies around creativity is researchers actually have really got a good understanding of what makes people like something which I think is so important for marketers. So here it is, mm. right? What they have found is that there's this like specific blend of familiarity and novelty that drives a huge amount of preference and liking. So like if something's too familiar, right? It's kind of boring, like we've seen it, we've done there, we've been that. But oftentimes when we think about creativity, we think about novelty, originality, innovativeness. But actually, we don't like things like that. Well, if it's too far on the other spectrum, yeah. it's like there's, there's if nobody's proven it, if you go to that new restaurant on Yelp and there's yeah. no reviews, yeah. you're, you're like, not what, going what's there. What's going on? Exactly. And so this is why like Star Wars was so successful. It was literally a Western in space. Like it's the same story arc. <laughs> right. There's good guys, bad guys. Uh, they're like chasing into the uh-huh. Death Star, you know, whatever. And so no, this is really important. We talk is, about this a lot, which is like pattern matching, 100%. which is most people, most marketers just still forget to do that. They're like, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to make it up. No, no. Do you know what the great marketers do before they go and create the next video or write the next article or write the next book? They go and find other examples. 100%. It's not copying. It's going and 100%. find what has been proven, what already works. Kanye West literally just tweeted about this. He just this. tweeted about he just it. just tweeted about this. Yeah, and I posted it and on I my was Instagram. Like, I was like, I said, oh my God, it's part of my book campaign. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? And now it's so much so that like, we have this conversation so many times in the marketing team here at Drift. We're like, now, if you don't go and find it, I want to know, okay, hey, Alan, this is great that you wrote this new article. Who was your inspiration for this yeah. article? I would be going and looking at like what headlines have already been popular, what format yeah. has been popular, what video. So that's a huge And piece. one of the great ways, so there's actually a lot of interesting studies around this with music that I think really make this point well. So they basically played a song for someone that they'd never heard before, and they played it over mm. and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the first time you hear the song, you're like, what is this? Right. The second or third time, you're like, okay, this is not that bad. The 10th time, you're like, I love this song. <laughs> and the 15th time, you're like, please stop playing Hotline Bling. Yep. Like, we're over this, yep. right? Some people. Yeah, I say that, yeah it's a whole thing. Yeah. And so basically what they found, this is why the book's called The Creative Curve, is there's this bell curve relationship between familiarity and preference. 100%. The more you see something, the more you like it, but only up until a point, yeah. then you get bored and you want something new and more novel. I lo- I actually have this in a slide. This is th- I'm genuinely enjoying this conversation, which is great. Uh, I have this in a slide for a talk that I give. Uh, I stole it from Andrew Chen, who who was growth at Uber. Yeah. He calls it the law of shitty click-throughs. Yes, I've seen this. Right? I yeah. love this chart. It's the law of shitty click-throughs. And it's the same reason why, if you're any good at Facebook ads, that frequency is so important, yeah. right? The frequency is like the amount of times you see an ad. Five or six is a sweet spot. One, it's not very good. You have no idea what Ten, the, yeah. 15, you're, you're shown you're it done. too much, right? So it's the same thing. And they've seen this. What's amazing is scientists have studied this, and they found this bell curve relationship when you look at paintings, advertising. But here's one of the things I think is really interesting. So scientists have found this bell curve relationship, but only for complex things. 
when something's really simple, like your logo color, yeah. like your logo or your brand colors, yeah. it's actually the more you see it, the more you like it indefinitely. Right. And the reason why is that scientists call it perceptual fluency. And it's basically the idea with things that are very simple. We basically just say, oh, we've seen it before, we know it. And the fact that it's so easy to process, we mistake that for liking it. So that's why in marketing and branding, like colors are so important, logos are so important. It's yeah. just these subtle things. Is that all in the book? It's all in the that, book. Those lessons that those you're lessons talking about? Are okay. all in the book. No, because it's cool because I, I didn't do, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a copy, so I didn't do a, I didn't do a deep dive, but I didn't expect it to have, you to have so much like psychology yeah. related lessons, which to me is actually, that's the most exciting stuff. Like the creativity stuff is one thing, yeah. but I, we love learning about the things that are rooted in, in science. Totally. Like we love, you know, uh, Robert Cialdini's book, obviously the six principles yeah. there, like baking all that stuff yeah, into so your marketing. The is. book, sort of going on the familiarity novelty thing, what I tried to do is I've read a lot of business books and my biggest hang up with business books is I love like narrative storytelling. But there's usually not enough science and every chapter just sort of is an anecdote supporting the original thesis. Yep. So this book, the entire book, every chapter is like a new concept and it's all science supported. So there's like 5,000 pages of notes at the end, all that kind of stuff. Made it a pain in the ass to write, yeah. But is like hopefully like actually actionable. Let's die. So so we people can go get the book, right? Does it matter when we release this episode? Um, it doesn't matter. But it doesn't you can matter. do it if you do it the week before the week of. It makes me really happy. When are you launching the book? June twelfth. Okay. All right. So we'll do that. We'll do that because I think it'll be a better story. Uh, Love so we'll do it June twelfth ish week ish. But uh, so I don't want I don't want to give away all the book. Make people go go and check it out. It, it'll be everywhere. You know, Amazon. I already saw the links and everything. Go check it out. I want to. I want to dive into the writing process because I was going to ask you, like I could go write, I think I could go write a book right now, but it'd be like Dave's thoughts, right? Like there would not be 500 pages of reference (laughs) notes in the back. So like, why did you go and take on, like, what was your, like, are you in a library doing research? Like, where did you get all this, this science from? Yeah. So basically, so a couple things. So the writing process took a while because like I have a job. I want to actually go all the way into this. So tell me, you have the idea. So I have I'm the, going to write the book. Officially, I'm going to write it. So here's the whole, here, I'll start from the very baby beginning. Yeah. So I was giving this talk. Someone was like, this would make a good book. Yep. I was like, okay. And so then I talked to one of my friends who had sold a book that didn't really well. Yep. And he was like, oh, you should talk to my agent. And I was like, okay. And so I talked to his agent. And the book world, it turns out, it's a lot like startups. There's a lot of gatekeepers, people who like, everything's about warm intros. And so his agent turned out to be this guy who I later found out was like, the business book agent. He's like 71. He did Mark Benioff's book, Satya from Microsoft, Eric Schmidt from Google. It was like, okay, I got the picture. And so I talked to him and he was like, hey, I really like this idea, but it's not where it needs to be yet. Why don't we develop it for a few months? So I basically started writing the book, sort of getting sort of mentorship Mm. and advice from this guy who is like literally 71. It's like one of the biggest business book agents in the world. Like and, writing the book, like you're just in a Word doc, like banging out chapters? So or basically, like... So basically my process was on the front end, I was doing two types of interviews and one type of reading. So I was interviewing creatives. So at this point, I knew I wanted to write a book about how creativity can be unpacked. So I figured, okay, I'm going to interview people who are really successful. And so I just started cold emailing people. And I had this sort of social proof of I had this agent who was sort of a rock star agent. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm, the book's not picked up by a publisher yet, but my agent's Jim Levine. He's done the books for Eric Schmidt and Mark Benioff and all these people. And so I got a couple interviews that way, which was really great. And then I started interviewing academics. Um, so I, my whole thing was I'm going to interview all the leading academics in creativity. And creativity is studied in neuroscience, psychology, sociology, anthropology. Like there's a lot of different fields that touch on it. 
And so it turns out, by the way, no offense to the academics listening, but academics really like to talk about their work. So that part's really easy. Mm. And then I went and I basically pulled the papers for like literally, this was thousands of pages of peer-reviewed research on these different topics. And I started putting in this giant workflowy document. So workflowy, for those of you who've never checked it out, is this like awesome outlining tool that has infinite sublevels. So you can like create outlines within your outline for indefinite times of periods. And so basically, I started putting all my notes in there. And anything that I thought was interesting, I could put more research in and actually put it in. And so I was doing these interviewers, these interviews. I was transcribing them using Rev.com. I was putting all the notes into Workflowy. Yep. And it started to like come together. Like as I was consuming all this information, like I started making connections. Did you edit the transcripts? No. So I had a VA who basically took the transcripts and went through and like made sure they weren't crazy. Yep. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so at that point, basically, is this too much detail? No, I love okay, this. This okay. is the detail that I wanted. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, as the outlines started coming together, only then did I start actually writing chapters. Mm. And so for the book proposal process, so one of the big secrets of writing a nonfiction book is you don't actually write the book first, so, which is kind of great. It's kind of mm. like a startup. Like you start, you do sort of like a pitch deck. So you write one or two sample chapters, and then you write this like 15-page plan, the most important section of which is the marketing plan of um, like why this book, why now, why yep. you. Tell me about the marketing plan though. Like you have to tell them, hey, we're going to email it to this 100,000 people and they're in like, like yeah. what, what do you get out of that? So basically as a marketer, that was like the most fun part because yeah. I was like, oh, like I can write a marketing plan all day. Yeah. So I basically, my whole plan with the marketing plan was I'm going to put so much stuff in there yeah. that like it's obvious that this guy's crazy. They, they're just going to be like, yeah, this is going to work. This guy's fine. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell me what was in there. What did so, you put in there? I put a list of like, I think 40 events I'd spoken at in the last year. Yep. Um, where you had just said, I'm going to try to go back to all these. Yeah. Yep. Plus a list where I'm like, here's 20 I know. Yep. I put a list of like the top 10 editors cool. and major publications yep. who I was friends with. Yep. I put a list of 100 podcasts yep. that I was like, I can probably get on. Yep. Um, shout out. Shout out. And then I also put a whole bunch of stuff around sort of the audience I'd built with TrackMaven and showing that, hey, this is something I like know how to do. Yeah. I coach others on yeah. how to do. And so it was very, very like actionable right so it wasn't and it wasn't necessarily like on june 12th we were right. going to do x and then on the july 4th we're going to do y it's it was more just like, i'm resourceful i can can i show you that th that this is a good investment exactly yeah exactly and so you basically how it works is you put together the um proposal and then it's a lot like vc you send it your agent sends it to all these different publishers and then you get back responses and the ideals have multiple and so we had there was 15 publishers we sent it to yep one was like, this is terrible. And I was like, noted. Um, and then 12 were like, we like it, but think the market's too small, um, which I don't understand, but it's okay. I'm over yeah. it. Um, Anyone and, who does marketing. Yeah. And okay. then two were like, we love this book and want it. And so that was all it took. And then so we ended up signing it with Currency, which is part of Penguin Random House. And so that's been a super cool experience because like you have an editor and there's copy editors and like they have audio departments. So yeah. I just recorded the audio book. How so much, tell me about like, then, then they say yes. Yes. And then you're sitting in your house somewhere, and now you're like, oh my God, I have, I have to, to write, write this thing. Yeah. And so it's basically more of the same. So it's like just doing more interviews, yeah. more research, more outlining. Men mentally, did you did you say, did you like map out the whole thing? Here's the outline, and then literally go chapter by chapter by chapter in order? It was more of, I basically did as much research as possible, and then it sort of organically started to come together. Mm. So like, the in the book, the first half is basically disproving this idea that 
creativity is this like mysterious, wondrous thing that yeah. has like no rhyme or reason. Uh-huh. And then the second half of the book is these four patterns I found among the creative geniuses yeah. that actually like are things you can do that are actionable. Yeah. So as I was researching, I heard over and over again these things like, hey, I consumed like an entire library's worth of books. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so that formed into a chapter. And then are you thinking like, oh, this would be a great section to have a graphic with. Yeah. And you'd start drawing. Or they, I was like, you're as an editor being like, we need something that's going to show Yeah. This. So the art of a book is really interesting. So basically, as an author, you're responsible for delivering the finished manuscript, yep. including all images. Yep. So I went and found an illustrator who I liked, who happened to be my neighbor. Nice. And um, I wanted like a zillion images. And they wanted like 15. Yeah. And so I think I sent 40 and they were like, let's stuck with 15. And, and then they you, edit out the ones and they you, don't like. you put them in where you want them. I put them in yeah. where I want them. Also, every business book is like 250 pages. Yeah, there's a thing. So that's perfect. That's a thing. All and right. And the cover is actually really fascinating. Tell me about the cover. So the cover. Did your illustrator friend neighbor do no, that? No, so this was a different one. So the cover um, is one of these processes that you have as an author very little ability to like veto but you have some influence over because you're like i'm going to sell the book for like years of my life right and so um the cover was one of these processes where you're like do we make it very businessy do we make it very creative what if we want to aspire to young people old people and so it turns out guys people judge books by their cover oh sure they do it's really important yeah so basically i hired um, this guy rodrigo corral who's like a baller he did um jay-z's book you know Diaz's books, like all the Chuck Plinicuk books. Like How'd you, you find him? My agent, this was again, I'm like kind of a little bit of an idiot sometimes, was like, oh, like you should talk to this guy. And I talked to him, he's like, oh, I'll work with you. And then I like Google him and there's like this New York Times article about how he's the cover guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And then you use all your advance money to pay for yeah, him exactly. to do the there's cover? No, yeah, okay. there's, no, there's no money. <laughs> um, and so basically it was cool though seeing that process because it went from like, okay, do we go very, very formal to do we go very, very artsy? And we ended up with something in the middle because we realized that this is a book that aspires to like help creatives achieve great things, but also has a lot of applicability to like the CMO of like a big Fortune 500. Totally. And so you need to hit that crossover. All right. I love it. I wanted to talk about that because I know you're going to do 100 other podcasts. And I think that they're not all going to ask you about they're the book not. process. So, but <laughs> before we wrap up, I got to talk to you about something. Okay. I want to know your LinkedIn video process oh my God. because because this is the guy that I got this from. We have been like, for the last two months, just LinkedIn video has blown up, yeah, but you crazy. were there even earlier and you were the one that DC was sending me all these videos, like all these comments, all these views, and you have a crazy system. Can you tell me about how you got on? Actually, I want to know like all the way back. When did you start doing LinkedIn okay, video? Okay, the LinkedIn video story is really silly. Tell me. Okay. It's so always silly. It's, it's never really like calculated. Silly. It's really silly. So I literally saw, so a big part of the book is about timing. Mm. And so as um, I was writing this book, LinkedIn video came out mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, like a big part of my book is about how like anytime there's a new platform, there's all this opportunity. And so I was like, oh, well, this is like kind of meta. <laughs> right. And so it was in private beta and I was like thinking way too much about this. Like I'm not dorky at all. And so I had a dream. This is a really embarrassing thing. So I literally had a dream, and for some reason in this dream, Jeff Bezos owned LinkedIn. Let's just go with it. My dream got confused between Jeff Weiner and Jeff Bezos. And so I was on a rooftop hotel bar. Yes. This is 100% true. Okay, I believe I have you. I believe that Jeff Bezos, yeah. I'm talking to him, and yeah. I'm like, Jeff, you own LinkedIn. Yeah. I don't know why. And um, <laughs> you really need to give me access to LinkedIn video. Like, you really do. Uh-huh. And he was like, sure, man, and gave me access. And I woke <laughs> on up. On the roof. I, I woke up. I woke up, and I was like, that was a bizarre dream. And then I was like, 
I should post that on LinkedIn. Like, I bet you someone will find it funny on LinkedIn and give me access. Yeah. And so I posted on LinkedIn. I changed Jeff Bezos' Jeff Wiener because that part was too nuanced yeah. for like the internet. No, but people would know me. People would have no. You just got a thousand comments. He's not the yeah, CEO exactly. of LinkedIn, you idiot. Yeah. And so I post this, and it was like, I just had a dream that Jeff Wiener gave me LinkedIn video beta access. Um, I think this officially means I spend too much time on LinkedIn. Yeah. And that was the post. And literally, like, all these comments, and like literally eight hours later, Jeff Wiener posts, no, it just means you can see the future, smiley face. And he gives me LinkedIn video access. He did that personally? He did that personally. And, and like, what, you got an email? And no, it just like turned on. <laughs> and then like, and then the vi- that post got like ridiculous amount of comments yeah. and likes. Yeah. And so then I started posting. You're already primed to be the video guy. I was, there you go. Yeah. And so I basically was like, okay, like what can I do on video that like I would enjoy and that other people enjoy? Yeah. And I spent a lot of time of my life just because I'm like a customer-facing, market-facing CEO meeting people. I was like, I'll just harass my friends to do videos. I love that. Because what what I liked about your videos a lot was... We're going to do a video after this. We're going to do a video after this. Uh, They never seemed to be script... Like, they weren't scripted. And what I love is, like, it always seemed to be like you were at a conference and you ran into Joe Chernoff. And you're like, Joe... Let's do a video together. Yeah. And he's like, fuck, do I yes. have to do this, yeah. right? And then you do a video. And then you, and you started doing all those. But but what I learned from behind the scenes, DC told me this, you had a, you had a, you have an awesome system behind the scenes okay. that made this work. Okay. Which, not surprising, now that I know your book process, it seems yeah. similar. Yeah. So basically, the process is, so do these videos, or record them on my iPhone. Super simple. Super simple. Not fancy. Yep. I sometimes use, I have a microphone, a Shure iPhone microphone. Yep, that, I got one of those now too. That is like, it's good. I got all the apps. Oh, that's the Baby Shusher app for Annie. But um, <laughs> I have uh, D-Shake, Typomatic. Amazing. Uh, whatever the other ones, Four ninety nine. So basically yeah. what happens is I shoot the video. We're yep. going to do it after this. Yep. It literally takes three minutes to film. It's yep. a 90 second max video. Yep. I upload it to Dropbox for my phone. Yep. I email it to my intern. Which takes forever, by the way. Yeah, That's the worst like, part. Ugh, and then if you lose service. Internet these days. Yeah. Kids these days. Okay. And then I emailed. I just wanted to say that because I wanted to make sure you didn't have some special hack. Like, with Dropbox? Yes. Oh, no, I don't. Okay. Okay. And so, and then my intern uses D-Shake, which is this app that for like $3 makes it look like you had a stabilizer, mm-hmm. at least decently. Yep. Then we send it to this other guy on Fiverr mm-hmm. who for like $10 captions it, trims it, yeah. cleans it up, sends us back a Dropbox link. And basically there's a Dropbox folder of like, uh, just like an army of backlog of Love videos. Um, except right now I'm kind of low, which is why we're doing a video. Do you, okay, so I have, a, I have two questions then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Number one is, I totally get the captions thing, Yeah. but I want to, and I don't know if I should test this or not, I probably okay. should. I feel like when I see a video with captions, though. So for a while, yeah. I believed that captions is like what you needed because yeah. everyone's scrolling with the yeah, sound yeah. off. But now I kind of believe more that like when people see captions, they know that's some marketing video. Where if it's like me walking down the street, I don't know. Maybe we'll figure it out. Okay, so Dave, give me. Go ahead. I can promise you, captions. with like hundred percent accuracy, captions, mind-boggling. Okay, I'm in. One, I'm in. So I'm gonna, co- I'm gonna copy. That's your the marketing system. aspect. I'm copy your and the second aspect yeah. is accessibility. Accessibility. So. Two for one. You're right. Yeah, so all my videos will start. Yeah, so, um, and man drinks coffee, stumbles, says, uh, that's what I was going to say. So I like that system. Okay, so then, but here's my my other problem is, I want to post this video now. Yeah. I don't want to wait. You have to wait. I got to wait. You got to wait. Yeah, I do it too. On LinkedIn, I find that like, the morning is the best because yeah. people are like getting to work. They're like rolling in. But, but like tactically, do you have a, do you have something on your calendar that's like today, post LinkedIn video? So basically on Sunday afternoons. Yeah. I write all of my sort of copy for the week and then my intern posts in the morning. Because awesome. otherwise, on, like. On Monday. 
Uh, it's every every weekday. Every so weekday you post a video? Every weekday. No, no. I post a video Tuesdays and Thursdays, okay. but I post something on LinkedIn every day. Gotcha. But otherwise, like if I have a breakfast meet, it's just like nice. a little too much coordination I like that. to go I on. I like that. Yeah. All right. We got to jump. We're going to go record a video. You'll check it out on LinkedIn. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's DG, and I hope that I'll see you at Hypergrowth in San Francisco. It's November 18th. The venue is amazing. We were there last year, and it's going to be even better this year. But I want to hook you up as a loyal listener of this podcast. So if you use my code SWIPEFILE99, you'll get a huge discount on a ticket. It's something like three, 400%. I don't know. Not a math guy. But you'll get a huge discount, and we'll see you there. I'm going to be there. I'm flying out to San Francisco. I think I'm going to MC that day, so I'll be there. It's going to be an amazing day, lots of learning. If you're in marketing, if you're listening to this podcast, you got to go, okay? Hypergo San Francisco, November 18th. Use my promo code SWIPEFILE99, and you can go and get your ticket at hypergrowth.com. That's pretty simple. See ya.